Hey, it's Zoe. And oh my goodness, did I have fun with this interview with Josh Levine. He is an educator, designer, and best-selling author of Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love. And this particular book was listed as Book Authority's Best Culture Books, as one of, sorry, one of Book Authority's Best Culture Books of 2019. Uh, Josh has, for more than 15 years, helped build culture-driven brands and is the principal of Great Monday and continues his work with tech and social enterprise organizations. He's also a co-founder of the nonprofit Culture Lab, which was established in 2013 and is the executive director that has overseen its growth into an international community. It's where people can get together and talk all things culture. Uh, he is an amazing culture-focused guy, and I love talking with him. In this interview, we cover some amazing tips on how to design a culture that is built to last, to build a really sensational employee experience that people love contributing to and showing up to. We talk about peak perks <laughs> and what not to do when it comes to reward and recognition, and also what kinds of rituals you can put in play to build your culture long-term. Yeah. Tons of really good stuff in this interview. Let's do it. Well, here we are with Josh Levine, and I'm um, cacking myself because I just stuffed up the intro, and he's cracking jokes all over the place. He is the best-selling author of Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love. It has debuted at number one at HR, and it is the, has been designated the best culture book of all time by Book Authority, which, hey, good on you, and welcome, Josh. Thank you. It's not. It's not the best. It, it's one of the best books, but still, I'll, it's still good. It's a still good uh, accolade, I would say. <laughs> one of the best. Okay. One there you of go. The one best. Of, one I'll of the best. But that. thank you. You know, whatever. If if that false information gets out there, I'm not going to get that. <laughs> That's one more reason to interrupt people on the street. Did you hear my podcast interview? It is the best. The best culture book of all time. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a very good culture book. So I've read it. I thought it was really great. And you say in the intention of the book straight up the front is that you want it to be a resource that people can actually apply. It's not just a, a navel gazing. It's not that. It's practical. It's here's the juicy tidbit. Here's a worksheet to get it done. Go and implement. So you're in California. You work in the tech space, but not as a tech head. You yeah. work as a culture guy in tech. Yeah. So can you tell us about how, how that came to be? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I didn't, I mean, first of all, culture, at least here in, uh, at least in the West Coast, and maybe even we could broadly say North America, culture hasn't been a thing. It started to kind of become a thing about five years ago in the business space. I mean, people have talked about it previously, but it was not in the popular consciousness. So there's people that kind of come to culture from human resources, from org design. I didn't come from either. Those things are not my experience. I'm actually a graphic designer by trade. So I came out to California to study graphic design. I ended up getting a job at a brand strategy agency. And, and I don't know if you know, but here in California or here in the Bay Area, you can pick up a rock and throw it and you're going to hit a, like a world famous graphic designer. So uh, while I was a good designer, I am a good designer. I'm not, a, I wasn't a rock star designer. I couldn't compete. So I kind of looked for my unique value and really found that my ability to facilitate, to think about the strategies of brand were really kind of where I could provide the most value. So I ended up becoming a brand strategist for about 10 years. And I had a crisis moment in that I was 
I, I left the firm that I had been with, but um, that was right around the, the great recession, as I guess people are calling it. And any job offers I had had really been rescinded. And they were like, oh, we're going to wait a quarter because we didn't know what's going to go on. It seemed you know, crazy. And I was like, oh, no, I don't even have a job now. So I had to figure out what I could do and who I could sell it to. And I had the space. What it allowed me to do that crisis moment was I had six months to really go from, well, I'm not, it's no longer a job search because they ain't no jobs. It's really more of a soul search. Like, what is it you, Josh, that since no one else is defining it, want to do? And I looked back at all the work that I had done and it was really the stuff on the inside that A, had the most impact and B, was underserved. I felt like there was nobody really doing it. And so it was that moment that I came to this idea. I didn't know it was called culture, but I came to this idea of working, helping organizations design a place where people could really get meaning and purpose from their work. Improving their lives through work is really kind of what I wanted to do. And so I dove deep into that and found some other folks that were also coming from the design space and interested in the kind of employee experience or the human experience. And that was the moment that I launched um, this idea of Great Mondays. So my my book isn't just called Great Mondays, it's my my company as well. And the intent of this uh, of that name, it's if you know why you work, if you are excited about that, then even Mondays can be a, a great day. It doesn't have to be TGIF, it can be TGIM as well. And that's <laughs> that's what I've been that's what I've been doing for the past uh, decade or so now. Yeah, that's great. I, I love how out of this uh, devastation of like, oh my God, I have no work. I have no job. What, who am I? What am I doing? That sort of yeah. uh, crucible experience, which is not fun. And it's a bit of a leap, actually, as you say, like the, the culture stuff what, hasn't been all at the forefront of 10 years ago uh, to make a leap from brand strategist into culture stuff. I mean, I can't imagine how scary that would have been not being an expert in that space to then go out and have a crack at it. Right. I, you know, I had this epiphany, right, about culture. I was like, oh my God, this is it. And so I went out to my community and I was like, ta-da, I am now the culture guy. And people like, I don't understand. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh crap. You know, it was, it was this like, I was convinced and everybody was like, meh, what do you mean? Like ballet culture? Like what, what is that? What? And I was like, oh, oh my God, I was, I was crushed, right? Like I had worked on this and it was kind of my coming out party or something, right? And I was like, crushed that people didn't even understand what I meant. And I was like, wow, well, no one's going to pay me money for something they don't even understand that there's a problem about. So I've been working for a long time to push this conversation forward. And luckily, I was stubborn enough to kind of believe in my own belief, I guess, of this and that the market came around. And so now this is, you know, I've been working, I had 10 years to kind of figure out really what and I continue to work on, of course, evolve and learn, but to really work on this idea. So that was, if you're talking about like crucible moments, it was like, number one was, oh my God, I don't have a job. Number two was like, oh, I know exactly what that is going to be. And then everybody goes, yeah, I don't know. Right. <laughs> so it's just like, geez, you know, that's, that is a tough, tough moment. Right. But, but I stuck it out for whatever reason. Did you have to spend a lot of time educating people about it before they would hire you? Or did they yeah. get it once you talked about it? Yeah, well, the assumption that they would hire me once they got it, I think is a very different, it's, there's something 
that is not an assumption one you can make. It's actually people I would explain and people go, oh yeah, that's nice. But it's not, doesn't mean they have their budget. And what I realized I needed to do was I wasn't going to convince anybody that didn't believe it. It's just too hard. Um, so I needed to, I realized I needed to do two things. One is do my own business development to make money now and do my, and do a bigger push and be part of a larger community to actually uh, advance the conversation. And so I happened to um, be colleagues with, and then meet a few other folks, like I, like I mentioned that were interested in this. And we created this little professional community called culture lab X and it was some place it wasn't there was a lot of hr 2.0 quote unquote happening around here in the bay area that it, i didn't i wasn't interested i mean i was interested in learning about that but that wasn't my gang that wasn't what i was trying to do i really wanted to push this idea of culture and we launched this project as really just kind of a local get together and it's just and people have really taken to it and it's now Culture Lab X is now 10 different cities across North America. And even someone from Sydney um, just applied to have a, have a Culture Lab X in Sydney. So we'll see if there's a, we'll see if we can get them up and running, but it's been this very interesting kind of growth. And I feel like that is, it didn't do it on its own, but emblematic like this, you, you sort of tapped into the zeitgeist of people were really interested, even if they didn't have culture in their title here in the Bay Area, they were really interested in this idea and it just kind of blew up and it was, everybody was very excited about it. And so even just having that name, like Culture Lab X, it was powerful enough to introduce that idea so that when I went culture, people didn't go, huh? They went, oh, and that was, that was enough, <laughs> right? Like that's all, that's all business success. Like for me, it's like one of your questions that you wrote down ahead is like, what does success look like? And it's like, for me, it's moving from, huh? To, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good barometer. <laughs> oh, oh, mm, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just have audio responses to define the success. Oh, right. <laughs> and so with Culture Lab X, what actually happens there? Um, well, so it's a professional community. And so what we what we have is each, a city will have a few um, lab leads and they will put together a, an event every quarter is what we ask. And it can be about anything culture related or culture adjacent, maybe even, and, and it can take any form. So we give a lot of latitude to all of our labs and our lab leads to kind of do what their market wants. So here in San Francisco, everybody's already knows how to define it. But in Calgary, when they launched, uh, it was a smaller market and they said, let's, let's start with the definition of culture and have a few conversations about that. So it just really depends. And, and the whole point is to actually bring people together in person. You know, of course, we've got a website and all that, but the, the premise, the kernel, the, the, the value of it is really bringing people together and making those connections and people looking at each other and going, oh, you also are interested in culture. Right. Oh, I'm, it's not just me. I'm not crazy. And, and then hopefully build that network. I love it. So as you were building all this, building the community and, and uh, professional conversations around Culture Lab X, tell me about your first client who hired you to help with culture stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So um, I think it's emblematic of the, the approach that we take. So it's not as big of a leap as you maybe kind of tried to, or, 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 or sort of framing in that, like you move from brand strategy to culture. Um, and I didn't realize that either. I thought it was like going to be a big difference, but it's, it's actually not that the starting point is actually very much the same. I use a lot of the same tools. And the first client was some folks 
that were both friends of mine and, and peers in the community. They ran a digital consulting group called Adaptive Path. And Adaptive Path is actually known in, in the tech world for um, being the originators of this concept of user experience, so UX. That was, I mean, one of the founders, he coined the term blog. One of the founders, you know, it's like wrote the book on UX. I mean, it was like, it was the place. But what happened was over time, they did not, UX had gotten, um, had, had gotten adopted and people really believed in it. So great, they succeeded. But, but the bad news is they didn't know why they existed anymore. And so they were like, they had enough work, but they just couldn't keep the, 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 the highly paid strategists that they needed. And so what they asked me to do is help them identify their, what they called their North Star, what I call purpose. It's the first component that's in the book the first component of culture. And we help them reorient and say, okay, look at all this work that you're doing. What is it that you actually care deeply about? Because you're no longer leaders in this idea. You've already educated the crap out of the market. It doesn't matter anymore. So they lost their way. And so this center point, this reason for being, so purpose is defined as um, why you're in business beyond making money. And so this reason for being is the starting point for both brand and culture. It's just that with brand, when you move along the process, you're gonna eventually articulate it to the world. And with culture, you're gonna articulate it to the people on the inside and potentially right. the people is, that you wanna bring into the inside. It's not such a big um, chasm to, to leap, really. It totally makes sense in terms of the correlation. And yeah. uh, as I was speaking to a brand specialist about personal brand yesterday, it's similar. Yeah. You know, she talks about individual personal branding and you start with purpose and values and being true to yourself. So a similar concept. And then it's how you express that in the world, which is, I'm guessing exactly. is what you do with a corporate brand right. strategy. That's exactly right. What is your story? Why does that matter? Why should I join you on this journey? Um, if I am a potential customer or even community member of Apple or of Google, um, you know, all these people that are in our backyard, why do I choose your brand? What is it that you're trying to do? Why should I join you? Same thing for employee. Why should I join you? Why should I spend my, the majority of my waking hours with you? I spend more time, more waking time with my colleagues than I do my family. That is a crazy stat, right? When you think about it that way, it better be to do something important. Don't tell me that you're going to like woo all this incredible talent because you're going to put cold brew on tap. <laughs> which by the way is like the thing now is it <laughs> yeah out here it's like whatever everybody's got their own like all the companies that got their own barista we've we've definitely hit peak perk it ain't about the perks peak perk <laughs> peak perk it ain't about the it. perks yeah so you that's what you need to figure out and it's the same thing so with with adaptive path and this is a story i tell in the book with adaptive path it was really moving from this idea of user experience to actually creating amazing human experiences, no matter what the piece of glass is that you're working through, right? There's still the deliverable is going to be a point of sale interface or an app or a website, whatever it might be. And that unified the concept, all of the work that they were doing. And they were like, this is why we're in business is about improving the human experience. And that really motivated and energized them for another just shy of a decade until they were acquired by uh, Capital One. They're now the Capital One Design Group. And uh, 
I think that the original members that were there when we made that transition still understand that that's what's important. And, but I'm not sure if that language survived the acquisition actually, as I think about it, we'll have to, we'll have to follow up with, uh, with Brandon over there. We'll have to ask him. Well, it's an interesting one, right? So when companies get taken over, it, 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 there is always like uh, a culture merge or it's actually a culture takeover, really. Like culture blending doesn't really happen it doesn't. Uh, in my experiences. Like the dominant culture swallows the other one. And that sometimes is good and sometimes not so good, but usually leaves a lot of dead bodies on the ground. <laughs> a lot, a lot. It, it is, yeah, acquisitions is a whole wild world of i think misguided decisions in business and culture is a really is always like a it feels like a tragedy in in the the story of the acquisitions it's it's too often you are like okay i want that company or i want that technology and i'm gonna go ahead and you know for our sake of simplicity or uniformity we're gonna force you to be part of our brand and like change the culture that you, but what you don't realize and which is astounding to me, it's like, why are you touching that? Like, do you realize that the people and the culture and everything that you like, like the value that you are trying to acquire is because of those things, because of how, what that company, the best thing to do is like what Amazon did with Zappos. They just let them do their thing. They didn't say, oh, okay, now you're Amazon shoes. No, they just said, do your thing. We love what you're doing. We want you to do more of it. Do it. Yeah, that's sensible. I want to come back to the the peak perk situation because it seems to me I'm in the people stuff space. I love leadership and culture. And so everything that you write in the book resonates with me. Everything you're telling about, you know, culture is central to a company's business success. There's a lot of smart people in California, especially in the tech space. How is it that they are now making the peak perk, like throwing out perks left, right, and center, trying to attract talent? It's, are they really so uh, ignorant and think that that's going to keep their attract and keep staff? I don't think so. I think it's a, it's a function of speed and and workload, right? So it's like, oh, we need to dial up the competitiveness of our talent offer in the next quarter, right? We need to hire another two hundred people next year. Well. That's a big ask. And it's a big ask to say, okay, everybody stop. We're going to have a moment where we all think about what is actually the purpose of our organization? Like, I don't have time for that. We got to move. So it's the Band-Aid approach. That's, it's like, we just need to look. Uh, those folks down the road, they just got this new workspace and those folks down the road, they just, they're offering, you know, free food and, and we're losing people to the, we got to do what they're doing. Right. So it's peer pressure. It's, it's speed. And ultimately Zoe, I think, I think what we're talking about when we're having this conversation is short versus long-term strategies and benefits. So, okay, fine. If, even if you increase salaries, it's only going to work for a little bit. It's only going to be a benefit for, you only win for a little bit. It will move the needle. You're like, yay, we did it. But ultimately, it's not going to win the long-term game. And that is the, that is the business that I'm in, is helping organizations, leaders, boards, understand how to and guide them through making better long-term investments. Culture is a long-term investment. No, make no doubt about it. There is no doubt about it that culture is about a helping a company be sustainable over the long term. 
if you're in it just to turn a quick buck, to flip it or whatever it might be, don't invest in culture. That's going to be a waste of your money. Now, I don't believe in that kind of running that kind of business. I wouldn't sign up for that. It's not illegal, um, but yeah, and that's that's a that's a low bar, I guess. But <clears throat> to you know, you're like, <laughs> it's okay, not illegal, it's not, so it's not illegal, it. so fine, we'll do it. But that's not that's not who I want to work with. I want to work with organizations, and and we do. We say, I will get this question: like, what size companies do you work with? Right? Like, that's the typical question to kind of like size you up. And yeah, what size company do you work with? Are you are you big time? Are you enterprise? Are you like you know startups or like you know founder? Whatever it is. The answer is we work with all of them. The people that we want to work with, we only work with ambitious people because this takes a lot of work. So if you're ambitious, engaged, interested, open-eyed, that's the kind of people we want to work with because that's what it takes to get this done. Otherwise, if you just try to hire us to fix your culture problem and you're like, just do this because I'm busy, that's not going to work. It won't work for you and it'll be a waste of time for us. Mm. I think there is a big distinction, you're right, and I'm glad you raised it, between those who are in it for short term, like build and flip. And uh, Jim Collins was in an interview just recently on the Knowledge Project, was talking about just that, like the author of um, Good to Great and Built to Last. And he said he's interested in the companies that want to build to last. And it sounds like that's the same for you. And I think the ones that do last and that do want to make a significant contribution will slow down enough to do this work, which ironically helps them speed up because when you have a substantive, strong culture, that's, that's what brings it to life and builds engagement and creates the zappos of the world where there is fierce loyalty and fierce productivity as well. Yeah, massive, incredible productivity. When you get in that space of the incredibly hard deadlines and the deliverables and like trying to de- like... It is just so hard to look up from the two inches in front of your face. And that's, it takes real leadership. It's the CEO will typically do that. And that's one of our, one of our recent successes was, I would say, mostly successful because of the amazing people we worked with. But it would not have been successful without the CEO who said, this is important. You need to stop and, and work on this stuff. And she was the guiding voice throughout the whole project. We did a values refresh and then we did a talent campaign for them. That is who is going to say, listen, I know we're on deadline, but this we're building this company for to be sustainable. This is important. And everybody goes, okay. Right. Like, all right, I guess I can't just check all my emails, right? You got to do something. You got to do something else. There's a little more invested in the long term. So I think when we talk about leadership, right, with the the things that you often talk to your audience about, it's really about having that vision and saying, hey, it's not all about this, build it and flip it. It's not all about just this quarter. It's got to be, oh, there's got to be a bigger vision for this thing. I think it's um, so important to have it's stewarded by the CEO and leadership at the top. So I have a number of people in culture executives who have been, you know, designated that task of like you manage that side of things. And they often struggle to get traction with the rest of the executive on the people and culture stuff. And do you, I wonder if you have any suggestions for those folk who, who there's some sort of grudging acknowledgement that people and culture is important by the CEO so much so they've got an executive on the executive team that's tasked with it, but they're not necessarily leading it themselves or breathing it and don't always 
participate in the culture change activities that the uh, head of people and culture is initiating. It seems like it's it's a difficult ask to get the, the somebody who's not at the top to initiate these things. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a lot of different pieces to that that problem you just articulated. If there is someone who is not on board, you know, if you if you have a kind of charismatic leader and CEO that believes in it, they need to put their foot down and say, "This is what we're doing," and you need to love it or leave it. That's it. And and I think that you got to get on board, even if you're a high performer and you're you don't believe in it. Now, I often will say, and this is a little bit of a workaround, that if your CEO doesn't believe in it, if your executive team doesn't believe in it then you can still make a difference inside of your own even small group of five or six people. It's not just a leadership-owned project. Culture is an evolution. It's something that everybody should participate in. And even if you're a manager of a group, you can change the culture of your group. Why are you waiting for permission? And so it, it is difficult to protect from a negative culture. That takes a lot of energy, but you can do it for sure. And you can change the kind of culture that you want inside of your group. So don't wait, don't wait for that permission. I think that's good. I mean, yes. And I think taking stewardship of your own individual team. Do you have any tips on how an executive might influence their CEO to get more buy-in to the culture initiatives? Yeah. Um, I think what one has to do is understand that that executive in a way that like, what do they care about and connect the culture to that piece? So if you're talking about, if that executive is all up in a bunch about innovation or collaboration or productivity, I mean, all of those things can be driven by, should be driven by culture. We're having a culture conversation. And I think it's a that's, it's really a, an, the art of making those connections. Hey, we're going to increase productivity by X number, if we're able to keep those people engaged, if we, we can align the management and the management strategy around our values, which is what we just did for an, uh, a, a high growth startup that just went public. Not only did they help, did we help them refresh their values, reinvent their values, we used them, which is what this should be. We use those values to define the behaviors that they're looking for, and we taught the managers how to manage with those values. And so what that does is it establishes a bar. This is what success looks like. And then you can build trust. And when you build trust, you're going to have high-functioning teams. And when you have high-functioning teams, you're going to have a lot more productivity, innovation, collaboration, all of those things. You know, there's lots of ways to not believe in something, but I think that is probably the best way in to say, look, you care about this. This is what we need to do to get there. Mm. Okay. I think that's good. I, I like that. Um, and it comes down to excellent empathy. <laughs> and you may not be able to transform their lens of the world, but you can connect your piece to that, to their piece. That's right. Yeah. So I think empathy is key. Yeah. I mean, all this people stuff, you know, if you don't have the empathy, you're, it's going to be, <laughs> it. it's going to be hard going. <laughs> you're sunk. Um, so in your book, you talk about, when we've spoken a little bit about this already, purpose as the, as the main sort of guiding force and then articulating that into values and then into specific behaviors. And then there's three other pieces that you talk about in the book, recognition, rituals, and cues. Um, I love all these things. So recognition and 
the piece that I know about through recognition is I've done a bit of research around that with the five love languages. Is that something that you correlate in the book or if you got a different take on what recognition and how it can be articulated through the business? I've been hearing a lot about the love languages lately. I don't know all about it uh, just yet, but I'm, uh, I, I think I'm now required to go check it out. So I don't know enough about the love <laughs> languages. I certainly didn't use that in the book. My take on recognition, so just because the first three are about defining what your culture wants to be, but just because you put it up doesn't mean it's going to happen. So you recognize as mammals, we, we appreciate and are going to behave the way that we're rewarded. And that's what we need to do is enact recognition of values-driven behaviors. Most recognition programs are rewarding the wrong thing. And so my belief is it needs to reward uh, values-driven behaviors. Whatever those values are that you've just defined, that we've helped you define, that's what needs to happen. So what, what do you mean like they're rewarding the wrong thing? What's the wrong thing? Uh, sales numbers. Oh, thank Outputs. God. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Outputs. I mean, it's going to yeah. be a hard, it's a hard sell to tell everybody to stop rewarding sales numbers. But outputs, if you reward, I mean, it could be any number of things. I mean, so, so the meta problem is that the organizations are not consistent with what they reward and recognize. Oh, it's the CEO award. Like whatever the CEO decides he wants that or she wants that year, right? It's the this award or that award. So that's one. But if we dive into it, most of the rewards programs where they can justify the trip to the Caribbean or the flat screen TV or whatever it is, it's about sales numbers. It's about outputs. How many widgets did you do? How many things did you push? Whatever it is. The problem is that when you create an incentive to actually increase that output, what is missed is how that gets done. And what you have is um, with enough pressure on the output, you're going to get scandals and poor behaviors. Mm. Uh, what you, what we find, there's any number of them that are in, in the news. So, Well, well we've so got far, them here too. We've had a whole yeah. banking royal commission around that and yep. banks reward, rewarding targets and really unethical behaviors. I'm not sure if yes. you across any of this stuff over here that, that's happening yeah, with that. That's exact, yeah, that's exactly right. So what, what we need to be rewarding. So outputs are the cause of the, the, the what, the output is the cause of the of the pro how you do it is the how. And so when I talk about values driven behaviors, if you want to be more productive, you need to increase, you know, it's like, how do you reward trusting relationships or building relationships? Um, how do you reward um, collaborative activities? These are the things that we need to be thinking about. Now, it's not easy. It isn't easy to do because it's qualitative, not quantitative. It's a lot harder to track, but it is possible. And it is the way that we need to be rewarding. So that's what to focus on. How do you actually do the recognition part, though? So let's say, you know, John is the collaborative player of the month. What is the, what is the recognition piece about? Is it like just singling John out or is it singling out the collaborative team or do they get a prize or... <laughs> it could be well so there's lots of different ways there's no i'm not i don't um prescribe a particular kind of recognition so in the book i actually articulate four different kinds of recognition and the punchline if you will is that you need to have each quadrant needs to have some activity in it and so we're talking about formal recognition from your leaders formal recognition from peers informal recognition from peers and informal recognition from leaders. And that establishes 
a at least a starting point where you can go oh yeah okay so formal from leaders that's going to be that trophy uh, once a year awards trophy could be something else but that's you know that's an example so we've got that formal from peers that's all the software that's in the space right now like peer to peer recognition that's great those are all things that can be used to be formalized that as long as you're recognizing values driven behaviors Thank you so much, Zoe, for your help on the last minute help on this project. You really helped me hashtag deliver or whatever the pro, whatever it might be, right? That's the, that's you really the goal. really help me hashtag party. <laughs> hashtag, 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 whatever it might be, right? So whatever your, whatever your value is. Um, informal from peers. So what's a little celebratory thing that you can do inside your, your, you know, inside of your little group? You can pat someone on the back. You can write them a little card, whatever it might be. Um, I was recently at Thumbtack and they have a celebration station. So it's just this little Ikea cabinet that's got all the supplies and little stickers and things. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like the amount of value you get out of with some, I mean, how much could that possibly have cost a couple hundred bucks to put colored tape and construction paper and pens? And you're like, thank you for your help. Like how meaningful is that? That's amazing. And, Plus, and you then, get to play with colored paper. Yeah, you get to take a little break. <laughs> it's a such a wonderful like I post. I posted it as a, a you know cheap culture hack. It's totally like a, just it's fabulous. So there's all all kinds of ways that you can recognize. Now, one word of caution, and this is kind of the the overall worry for me. Most so I, we've already covered most companies reward the wrong thing, but they also use the wrong thing to reward. So, you know, a lot of the um, organizations and there's even consulting groups around this where it's like, we're going to create a total rewards package for you. And they get incentives, they get everything from, you know, like I said, flat screen TVs or, you know, or like trips or, you know, take your team to whatever it might be. And well, I think some of those are, are okay. So team building stuff, but the problem with that is that they're all extrinsic motivations. We don't want that. We want intrinsic motivation and it's good enough just to get a pat on the back from your manager or to get a shout out over email. Just write a stupid email, copy someone's manager and say, you did a good job. That's all it takes. And if you are rewarding with the cash bonuses or whatever, it's like you're, you're sending the wrong message. It's the entirely wrong message. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do for the company and to achieve your purpose. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, I'm so like right on, brother. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah, so yeah, with exactly. that. I know. So thank you for, for sharing all that great insight on recognition. And if we could cure some of the major ills we have in companies around this, we'd have a, a lot less stupid behavior and a lot less unethical behavior and a lot happier places. Um, mm -hmm. So tell me about rituals. Yeah. So <clears throat> when I first started talking about culture 10 years ago, um, one of the big questions that I would get that I could not answer was how do I scale my culture? So everybody out here in the Bay Area is very interested in scaling. And like that was apparently a really difficult thing and I didn't understand why. And so I went into the next couple of projects looking for that and also did a bunch of research to think about it. And the problem is that the relationships don't scale. Yeah, so okay. relationships are the synapses of culture. Hmm. That is how culture spreads. But once you get past a certain size, these individuals will start to group in smaller groups. It's not a unit anymore. Then you get subcultures, which may or may not evolve in the way that you want. So 
rituals are the ways that individuals, managers, leaders, companies can encourage building and strengthening those relationships with people that you don't normally see that are outside of your normal circle. Because when you think, if you think about it, the when an organization scales, all these barriers are erected, both literal and metaphorical barriers. You've got your cubicle walls and you've got doors and now you've got a second floor, but you've also got uh, departments, different skill sets. You've got roles, levels, SVP, VP, exec. These are all people that you don't talk to because of these barriers or it's harder to. And what we need to do is actually make an effort. We don't want to as humans, once we have a certain number of people, it's like, ugh, I gotta remember somebody else's name. I gotta remember who else that is, it's hard. And so we don't naturally wanna do it. And so what we have to do is we have to create these rituals that help people bridge those divides that naturally occur. How do you connect people outside of their work roles? And the, and the one that everybody knows is the holiday party. The holiday party <laughs> is like, that's the, that's the one. That's the thing where it's like, you know what happened. It's like, everybody's like, no one's, you know, it's like everybody's kind of, you, you know, drink, drink a little and you're piling around. It doesn't matter who's, who's doing what. So that's a great example, but that only happens once a year and it's really expensive. So how else might you create connections? So one of the things that we do here in the Bay Area, the sort of the extracurricular stuff, it's like you can have a company-sponsored softball league or all the design agencies in the Bay Area used to do have a kickball, a, a kickball day or something. So they'd have, they'd, all the design agencies would play kickball against each other or something. It's outside of work. It's other ways to connect with people that, that help the work happen better, help the culture transmit more cleanly from one side of the organization to the other. Now, now, I'm not saying that you have to, every office has to have the same culture. It, it's not going to be that way. There are things that are going to be similar across organization. Your values and your purpose should be the same. But then how you reward those is going to be very different. What it's going to look like in you know, Bethlehem, New Jersey is going to be different from uh, you know, recognition in, in uh, Berlin. It's going to be a very different kind of thing. And that's fine. I don't want to control for that. But we need to have a common, common point. And that's what's really important to understand as an organization grows. Yeah, that's nice. And you have a nice framework in the book around that as well, the kinds of rituals that you can put in place, which I think is really useful. And the last piece that I want to talk to you about is cues. And I love this. This is about anchoring culture visibly in, in the workplace. And I just want to share one way I've seen this and whether it correlates with what you've seen, if, if that works. So I remember reading about Mind Valley, um, and Mind Valley has a really important cue in their culture, and they had a life-size statue of Wonder Woman in, huh. in their office. And part of their ritual is that they had a shorter statuette of Wonder Woman, and when new employees come on board, they used to get them to put their hand on... This is kind of weird. I put their hand on Wonder Woman's butt, the little figurine, and swear an allegiance and commitment to being the best version of themselves and, and living the Mind Valley principles, which I thought, well, that's pretty unique. <laughs> unique. Yeah. But is that an example of, of the kind of cues that you can put in place? Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're, they're attaching meaning to it, right? So it's, it's actually a, um, it is actually some sort of like ceremony that you've put there. And so the statue itself, the big statue and the little statue, the big statue is always there, 
reminding you that you made this commitment. Small statues are also there and they're about the, it's about the values. Now, if it was a statue about your sales numbers, then no, I don't think that counts, but <laughs> right. You're like, you commit, you commit to selling, you know, it, but, but because it sounds like being the best version of yourself is something that they value. Maybe one of their values. Beautiful. That's exactly what we're talking about. Now, the challenge that I am trying to think through is how do we create that similar experience with a more distributed workforces. So we have many organizations that are fully distributed, right? Like there are more and more of those, which is pretty nuts. Um, but even, you know, it's like most organizations that we work with are half distributed or like, but like, how do you, how do you do that for someone who works away from their colleagues? What are the cues that you offer digitally over, you know, over the phone, over a video conference? I think you send them, you know, branded mugs. So they at least having, they can have like a group call with their branded mugs together. I've heard that like in virtual teams, like even though you're separated, you could have a ritual that when you show up for your meetings, you're all having morning tea and maybe you've shared a recipe amongst the group and everybody cooks the same recipe. So everybody's drinking whatever their beverage of choice in their branded mug with the, <laughs> with the same brownie that they've all cooked and they can share swap notes about, about it. So, you know, that's sort of one that's way great. to do it. That's great. That's a little... That's definitely a, a ritual. And the, 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 how do you, I think the challenge is how do we stay uh, rigorous with this? Like what are the cues meant to do? And the cues are meant to remind us of even when things get busy, they're meant to remind us of why we're there. What's our purpose? What are our values? So I'll reflect back on the adaptive path example. So if the reason why adaptive path is there is because of the human experience, creating amazing human experiences. And at the Monday morning standups, everybody would gather around and one person, not necessarily a leader, would tell a story of a great human experience. Could have been from the baseball game, it could have been from a client thing, it could have been something you read on the on news. And that is to me a really powerful way to really reconnect people with what they're doing because things can get crazy. Things will get crazy. We've got emails that can't be ignored and budgets to do and all those things. So how do we reconnect people? And I think that's, this is to me where you can really have the opportunity to be very creative in, in uh, a powerful way. And, and I think that the opportunities to think about those digital connection points are, are important as well. Fantastic. Yeah, I think there's so many challenges and opportunities to do this stuff that can be fun. And it doesn't have to be too complex. And I think yeah. some attention thinking through all these things, and designing the infra not the infrastructure, I want to think of something more organic. It's almost like the fascia or the nervous system, probably that's a better analogy, nervous system of your organization, when you build the threads that go through the body of it, then you're more likely to have a more sensitive entity and one mm. that can thrive in the future. I love um, it. Josh, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom yeah. and your insight. It's Thanks been really for having fun. Me on. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Um, people can get your book on amazon.com. I know that you've got it up there. We'll put a link to your website as well, which is greatmondays.com. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. And they can hook up with you on LinkedIn too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, awesome. Thank you. I hope you have a great, well, today it's Friday. Have a great Friday. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. 
That was such a fun interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you want to get some more People Stuff insights, be sure to sign up for the blog. The link is right there in the show notes. And with it, we publish a weekly article on all things People Stuff when it comes to leadership, be that in teams or in culture or the individual. People are such a mystery. I think it's worthwhile decoding them a little bit. And that is the main mission of my articles and message. I hope you'll join us. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.